With more than 60 episodes in the game, KP and PR are still dropping gems. Secrets continues to bring you the hot fire that you have grown to expect. Listeners describe Secrets as the ultimate receipt for motivating the underrepresented employee to be bold in achieving their career aspirations in corporate America. And Season 4 will definitely not disappoint as they deliver secrets on how to advocate for yourself, how to become a better ally, and how to get your market value. Your hosts, Keith Powell and Ricky Robinson, put in that work to reach the top of corporate America. And this groundbreaking podcast challenges you, as well as corporate America, to be better and do better. KP and PR will bring you more tips and tricks on how to advance in your career. So fill up those cups and welcome to season four. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Secrets. Ricky, how you doing today, my brother? KP, man, I'm doing pretty good. I'm actually cheesing today because we've made it to another milestone episode. Okay. Secrets Village, welcome to episode 75. Wow. wow. I'm telling you, man, we were just over at the office over there, your bar. Yeah, okay, right. Uh, writing stuff down not too long ago to just to think that we're at you know, episode 75. So the Diamond Jubilee episode, I think that's what we'll refer to this one as. Yeah, and yeah. we have another outstanding gym for y'all today. For sure. And I'm, I'm excited as well. And you remember our original plan was to like to get to 50. We hope we got to 50 <laughs> episodes, right? We'd, we'd be, be lucky. We'd be we got lucky to get to 50. It's like, I don't think people really want to listen to us that much. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> at the end of the day. And see how it went. Well, we made it. We made it. We exceeded our expectations. And every day, we're getting more followers and inquiries and listeners, even press now. Yeah. You know, yeah. Ricky, Ricky be on TV and stuff <laughs> doing this thing. And we've talked about this before, but this podcast does not feel like work for us. We actually no. have a great time, have a lot of fun. We trust each other in every sense of the word. Show any signs of burning out or stopping this train. No, right no, now. So we're having a good time. Especially when you're just having fun. I mean, mm-hmm. and uh I gotta say, is uh as much as you know, we do things in our regular day-to-day lives. This is a little refreshing. Yes. You know, it's no a, a, at points in time. <laughs> so, look, this is so much fun for us, but we also understand that it's not like the story for many. Uh, it's not that same story for many people, yeah. you know, uh, at work, mm-hmm. including us in mm-hmm. our day jobs at times, yeah, right? Yeah. That shit can get a little dicey. That's you right. know what I'm saying? It, it can take can. something, it can really take something out of you. <laughs> the lack of trust in your leaders and, and colleagues and the like the constant grind, yep. you know, of the job can lead to stress, anxiety, burnout. I mean, mm-hmm. we talked about a lot of this stuff before. And in some cases, you know, as we've mentioned in our previous episodes in, in uh, seasons past, Health issues, like we oh, know, yeah. like yeah. as BIPOC people, Special BIPOC people, yeah, yeah. We, we end up having the most pre-existing conditions, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So for our Diamond Jubilee episode, we had to bring some heat to this topic today. Mm-hmm. And we are so happy to have our newest member of our Secrets Village, our sister, Needed Tawari, here to join us today. Yes. Within five minutes of meeting this woman, yes. okay, <laughs> we knew she had to be part of the Secrets Village, yes, okay? Yes. And again, we always forget to tape the shit. Right, you know what right. I'm saying? Like, man, <laughs> I was like, man, we should have been taping that, you know? Right, and, but, but I promise you, I promise you, she will not 
disappoint today. So, KP, why don't you go ahead and introduce Nidhi to our uh, listeners? Absolutely. So, Nidhi, she's a acclaimed licensed clinical social worker and mental health therapist. And as a professional speaker, she speaks to leadership teams and audiences mm -hmm. on the topics of burnout prevention, psychological safety, and optimizing mental health in the workplace. She's been featured as an expert in national publications, including Forbes, Oprah Daily, The New York Times, The Washington Post, Vice Magazine. It goes on and on and on. And she's been interviewed on various networks around the topic of mental health. We need to get what she she at. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she real. She, she got real receipts over she got here. Real receipts over here. <laughs> yeah. And Nitty has quickly established herself as a thought leader on the new social media platform Clubhouse. Mm -hmm. You know, we tried that for a minute. We couldn't get it down. So Nitty, we may have to get some lessons from you. Well, the technology challenge. That's right. There, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> But she has found herself on Clubhouse, uh, where she runs a group that discusses mental health called Mental Health Matters. So y'all check that out as well, with over 95,000 yeah. active subscribers. And if that's not enough, Nitty was invited to collaborate with Grammy-nominated musician Aloe Black in multiple mental health awareness events in honor of his uh, friend and collaborator, Avicii. And Secrets Village, I'm going to just tell you to hold on. <laughs> Hold on to your seatbelts today because Nitty is going to bring some heat. Welcome to the show, Nitty. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. I can't wait to dive in and I've been looking forward to this for many weeks. So thank you for having me. Oh, no. Thank you. So, look, we told y'all we weren't, you know, going to be playing around in yeah, today. Okay. Not so, on the 75th. No, no, no. So, again, Nitty, welcome, welcome, welcome. Like they say in church, welcome, welcome, welcome. 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 You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, look, uh, so Keith, why don't you talk about what we're going to talk about in this episode? Yeah. This so, week. in this episode, we'll talk to Nitty about her story and how she got involved in this work. Uh, we'll also uh, talk about the, the impact that the lack of trust and burnout can have on your workplace experience. We'll provide some receipts on the intersectionality of mental health and people of color, as well as some receipts on the impact of burnout. And we'll close out with secrets from Nitty on how leaders can create trust and prevent burnout in their organizations. Man, this is kind of deep already, yeah, yeah. man. So Nitty, let's just jump into this. Like what we like to do and how we start our conversations is by introducing and giving you an opportunity to talk about like your upbringing and whatnot. So if you could, like I'd like for us, just let's bring our, our secrets listeners under the tent, like shed some uh, some insight on who they're talking to, okay? So can you please take a moment to bring our listeners up to speed on who you are, what your upbringing is, educational background, your career journey, like let them know who you be. <laughs> yes, I'm happy to. So I am a first-generation Indian American here in the United States. And my parents immigrated here many moons ago. My mom pregnant with me, actually. And they came here with $500 to their name. And I, I don't know about you, but I know that $500 doesn't get us a whole lot, even back then, right? And so I saw my parents, who my dad is an engineer, and my mom had a law degree and an economics degree and taught in India. When they came here to the United States, my dad came here on a job. And my mom, with all of these degrees, discovered that none of them were actually honored. So she actually started off working here in the United States as a grocery store clerk. This is a woman with two degrees and a teacher. 
And here she is working at a grocery store. But I'm proud to say that she was able to work her way up from grocery store clerk all the way to becoming a vice president in Bank of America over 10 plus years. So for me, I saw really the true American dream unfolding before my eyes. They really set a precedent for me about what it means to work really hard, have ambition, invest in your education, and do all the things that you can do to the best of your ability to progress and move yourself up in the world. And so what this created for me was, of course, a strong work ethic, but also a lot of perfectionism and a lot of anxiety around achievement. Because everything relating back to my self-worth was tied very much to what I achieved and how I achieved it. So growing up in high school, I killed it. I mean, I had like a 3.9 GPA. I was in the top 10% of my class. And I was one of 25 people that was selected in the world to receive a full scholarship to go to college. Right. Right. So for all intents and purposes, it looked like things were off to a great start for college, right? But then I went to college and I started to really have a difficult time. And going in, doing pre-med, the classes were very intense And I hadn't experienced freedom. I was so academically focused that I went the exact opposite direction in college. I was partying. I was hanging out with people every day, neglecting my school responsibilities, neglecting my mental health, I came to find. And it affected my achievement, which affected my self-worth, right? So this was the first hiccup that I had alongside my journey where I discovered that mental health was actually the crux of either my success or my failure. And this was my moment where I actually, through the course of navigating this, and I can dive more into this in a moment, I had to make a decision about the track that I was going to be taking. And I decided that pre-med just wasn't for me. I wanted to do social work. I wanted to help people become a therapist. And so I went to graduate school, got my master's in social work, Proud to say I got a 4.0 that time. Didn't do so well in college. Not a 3.9, a 4.0. I was like, yes, I got to make up for lost time. (laughs) And then I became a licensed clinical social worker after that. And here I am today practicing. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's outstanding. I mean, you just think about the journey, right? Having strong parental figures, you know, and you're seeing how hard they've worked and how hard education is. And then when it it, it doesn't get honored, And you got to start from scratch. You know what I mean? And you just look at what you were instilled with. So, I I mean, that's a great story talking about because everybody college is is fun, but it just doesn't work for everybody. Right. I mean, and you have to go and you have to figure it out. Like nobody's asking you to check in in the mornings. Nobody's asking you to get home by a certain time. Like, so you got to figure it out because trust me, I'm telling you from a very familiar uh, scenario (laughs) because I was doing the same thing, Nettie. I was, I was showing out when I got to college. (laughs) I think a lot of people do that. Yeah, absolutely. And your story is so, so rich and interesting and just the intersectionalities, you know, being any American first generation Mm -hmm. uh, immigrant to the country and just all those, those layers. And started to hit on it a little bit just in terms of what was the turning point for you in terms of deciding to go into mental health do you mind like clicking down one one more layer on that on that piece because i'd be interested to hear more totally i'm happy to yeah so let's zoom into the college years right so i get to college I'm so excited. The world is my oyster. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's like so many cool people to hang out with. I have freedom. Like you said, nobody's checking up on me, Mm -hmm. which my parents were very micromanagement oriented. So this was completely different for me. 
And when I got to college, I got very distracted and my priorities were not on point with what I really needed to be focusing on. But what was actually happening under the surface that I didn't quite realize was that my partying and my drinking and all of that was actually avoidance of the the tasks that I was feeling anxious to complete. Mm -hmm. So for example, as a pre-med major, the, the coursework is heavy. It's very heavy, intense learning that you're having to do. And there was organic chemistry classes and plant bio. I mean, I remember it so vividly and they were just really hard for me. And I was using the partying as a way to avoid doing the work. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea actually, because my family in Indian culture, and I think many BIPOC communities, we don't talk about mental health, right? So I had no idea that the anxiety was actually tied to the avoidance. Mm -hmm. And so one day I, as I'm not showing up for my classes, as I'm last minute cramming in literal textbooks, 300 pages of textbooks, trying to study for a test, right? Failing my classes now, I get a letter from the university scholars program, basically stating that Nitty, if you don't pull up your GPA to be the minimum requirement for our scholarship, we're going to take it away. You're going to lose the scholarship. Mm. And I had an option in that moment. I could either continue on the current path, ignoring the problems, drinking them away, partying away this opportunity, or they gave me the option to work with somebody at the university counseling services. Now, I was scared. I was terrified. It was like mental health. Does that mean I'm crazy? Does that mean that something is wrong with me? Because those are the messages I had heard growing up. And I walked in that door. And as I was conversing with this person, this therapist, I discovered that not only did I have anxiety, I had past trauma that was showing up in my present day. And it started to unfold for me that there were ways to cope with all of this, things that I had never learned and had never been set up for success with. And so having this experience really inspired me to help people on a mental level. So especially in BIPOC communities where it is so stigmatized and so taboo to talk about mental health, to help people to see that we all have mental health. And we all need to attend to it. So that's what inspired me to go to graduate school and then pursue becoming a licensed clinical social worker. Mm, that's great. Yeah. No, and again, I, I, I may thank you a hundred times doing the show for being so brave to, to be able to talk about this because look, sister, I've talked on this show myself about my own mental health struggles at different points in my career. And I'm telling you, that was one of those points where I, where I always tell people you could turn left or you can turn right. That was that fork in the road. And for me, you know, that was a tough, that was a tough situation. You know, you, you figure if you didn't have like that talk therapy or someone to actually where you could have a regular cadence of discussion, you know, we might not be talking today. <laughs> you know, like in terms of like secrets and everything that you do, we may not be doing that. Can you perhaps talk about like if, if there was a time, you know, or various moments when you felt like maybe your faith, you know, was being challenged or that you may need it, potentially need to come up with a different plan for your career. I know you had talked about, you know, switching up majors and all of that stuff, but was there something else that may be like a fork in a row for you, you know, uh, where you might have had to do something different? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. It was uh, in tw between the years of 2016 to 2018. I questioned everything that I was doing. In 2016, when we were on vacation, we had an annual tradition of Labor Day weekend going out to the beach in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And my best friend, myself and my other best friends, we all went together every year to celebrate my best friend's birthday. Well, in 2016, we went to the beach and my best friend had a health crisis that occurred. 
and she got rushed off to the hospital. She had actually a seizure by the pool. First time she'd ever had something like that happen in her life. When she went to the hospital, they found a brain tumor the size of a lemon. Mm. And she was only 25 years old at this time. Mm. So this was a moment where everything changed for me. My entire life trajectory, it's a before and after moment, right? And so I went from being her best friend to her caregiver at Mm -hmm. that stage. She had a, a relatively close relationship to her family, but they weren't available to help in the same way. And so because of the seizure, she couldn't drive. She couldn't go places by herself. So I took her to get her medication, to get groceries, to go to her medical appointments. But the thing is that my work life didn't stop when all of this was happening. I still was carrying a full caseload. I still was doing consulting. I still was a leader on my teams. And I was just collapsing inside. I Mm -hmm. think my mental health was declining rapidly. And so during those years, it was honestly the two hardest years of my life. And it culminated in 2018 when she unfortunately passed away from the stage four brain cancer. Mm. And in 2018, what happened was uh, it all just came to a head. I started to have difficulty showing up to work, having a hard time getting up in the mornings. Mm -hmm. When I was at work, I was fully focused on my clients. But then between sessions, I was like quietly closing the door to grieve and to cry because I just felt like I needed to show up and wear this mask. And I can tell y'all, there were many times I thought to myself, is this, is this what I'm meant to do still? Like, I don't know that I can handle this anymore. Mm -hmm. So I'm burning out. I'm dealing with grief. I'm dealing with anxiety. I'm dealing with trauma. And it really caused me to question. It was like a tectonic plate shift in my life Mm -hmm. that caused me to question my identity and my trajectory in life. Mm -hmm. And that was one of those moments where I really considered maybe I should do something else. Like maybe I should look at HR like my husband, or maybe I should, you know, get a a nine to five job that doesn't entail this type of emotional labor. And thankfully that the decision didn't have to get made because I sought out help and support from a therapist, right. To get me through it. But that was one of those moments where I really, really had a question of my existence and what I am meant to do on this earth. Mm, wow. That is a lot of, a lot of layers of that. And Ricky and I, you know, we've talked a lot about external static mm-hmm. and especially for people of color, we carry so many other things in addition to having to show up at work and be present at work. And I think about our episode with Lisa uh, Bennett, when she Mm -hmm. was talking about this whole thing also, where she had to show up as a high level executive in management consulting. And she has her grandparents die. She has her mom die. She Mm -hmm. has her aunt die. And it just kept going on and on, but she had to show up every day. Yeah. And (laughs) the crazy part about it is, As you're going through this stuff, like, you know, you're missing maybe some work or you're trying to take some time off. I don't know if it's intentional or not, because it does feel like it's intentional, but it does seem like your employer or your job doesn't really care sometimes. Right. It's like we. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you're going through, Nitty, but we're going to need that. We're going to need those TPS reports. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? They start start asking you about the flare. You ain't got enough flare on, you know, stuff like that. But. Again, it's that weight on your shoulders there. And again, you know, especially thinking about we're all high achievers, right? I mean, I don't know too many people who don't want to be good, right? Who don't want to put the work in, right? So the minute that you're not doing as well as you think you should be doing, it starts to kind of creep, you know, in your mind and, and whatnot. You know what I mean? So so I completely understand 
you know, uh, like that point. And I'm glad you, you know, again, being vulnerable, vulnerable enough to talk about it. Yeah. And that's a good pivot point just to talk more about your work that you do um, currently. And I've seen snippets of your work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know there's two areas that you focus on in particular around a trust and, and leaders kind of building trust and empathy um, and then working with folks on on burnout. If we could spend just a second talking about that first one, uh, just in terms of building trust, because I mean, Ricky and I give leaders a hard time right on the show <laughs> <laughs> because they, a lot of times they don't show up just like we were just talking about. It's like you don't know what people are dealing with, but you are putting all this pressure on me to perform and show up and, and do all the things. And there's no empathy there. Mm-hmm. There's no there's nothing there. It's just like, just no go do up. it. No let up. No let up. <laughs> and so that can I mean, all of that takes a toll. So you could just spend a time, a little bit of time just talking about your work in terms of building trust with leaders and, and what that looks like. Yes, I'm happy to. So I think trust is the foundation of any successful business and especially the foundation of successful leadership. And in the work that I do, I do consulting with organizations, typically fortune level corporations in helping their leadership to simultaneously address trust and burnout because they're intertwined and interconnected. So when we're talking about building trust, we're talking about having a rapport, a sense of compassion and empathy, as well as a pulse on what's going on within your teams. And I think so often what happens with leadership is that we're so focused on the outcomes of what's happening in work and during the work hours that we don't even once think about what's going on in the other hours of the day when people are not at work or right before they come to work. And what I really want people that are listening to hear is just in the same way in my story where I lost my friend, when I logged onto that computer or walked in through the office doors, that grief was still something I carried with me every day, all day throughout the day, right? It didn't just get dropped off when I came to work. And if leaders are attuned, it's what I call attuned leadership. When leaders are attuned, meaning that they have a really good sense of what's going on with their employees, who their employees are, what their strengths are, what their struggles are, then they can show up and anticipate how to best support them. And I know that y'all might be sports people. I don't know if y'all are sports people, but I know yep, I know yep. a little bit about sports. Yep. <laughs> I, know, I know enough to be dangerous. Um, but what I can tell you is that load management is a really important sports technique where coaches are able to determine when their key star players are going to be placed in to the game and when they're going to be taken out for recuperation and recovery time. And I really want leaders to think about trust building in this exact same way. When you get to know the people on your teams, when you create Create a foundation of psychological safety, meaning that people feel as though when they share something with you, you're not going to judge them, reprimand them, hold it against them, that you're able to compassionately hold space. Then what you can do is you can better anticipate what and when you need to pull people in and pull people out, right? And so I think that that is a key strategy, not only when it comes to addressing trust, but simultaneously addressing the overburdensome workload that many people encounter when it comes to burnout too. So they're very much tied together, if that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. And it it's not rocket science that we're talking about here, right? But when you just zoom out for a second, you think about All of the leaders out there who are the best leaders, and I'm saying that like facetiously a little bit here, right? And they get rewarded for pushing these numbers, driving people. Hey, I'm a direct leader and this, that, and the other. Again, when you zoom out, 
they have no clue what their people are going through, like externally or what's happening, how many kids they have even sometimes or when their birthdays are. Right. Because we're like, hey, we need to get this product out. We need to hit this deadline sooner. We need to do these things. And you realize, again, yeah, the company looks like it's doing well, but your employees are suffering. We're talking about the burnout. We're talking about how do you get to be one of the top companies, whether it's for gender equity or for ethnic diversity or for whatever it is, right? Whatever type of representation it is, it's all because you're attuned, you know, like you said, and you're doing some low management. But I, it's it's crazy to me mm-hmm, that we're talking about this and it really, like, you know, some really good managers, mm-hmm. but you know, some horrible ones too here, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, That's based right. off of what we're talking about, yeah. <laughs> you know? That's exactly right. Yeah. And the bit of hope to add in here is that these are skills that you can develop. So I think mm-hmm. often leaders feel like, oh, I never learned how to be empathic or I never learned how to be compassionate or that's not a part of my personality. But these are all skills that you can develop and learn with time. And if you just nurture that skill set, I can guarantee you it's going to transform the way that you lead and you're going to see the metrics improve as a result. But you have to do one in order to achieve the other. So I completely agree with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, that that burnout that we talk about is real. Like we've both faced it in several of our roles. I mean, we we face it all the time. But let, let's focus for a minute, if we can, on that burnout. We know that BIPOC and female employees in particular deal with a lot of external static, as Keith was talking about before. And for our listeners out there, external static that we you know, define it as, as, you know, that could be where, whether it's childcare issues or health issues, financial stresses. I mean, hell, look at the price of gas these days. That's stressful. You know what I mean? What are some ways of identifying burnout and how can people either avoid or work through burnout in your opinion? Mm. Well, so I'll tackle the first question first and I'll get to the solution. So the, the ways to be able to identify if you're struggling with burnout is to recognize that there are three dimensions that come mm. with burnout. Okay. The first dimension is exhaustion. So that feeling like in the morning you are dreading work. You have to like negotiate with yourself. You're like, okay, yep. I can do this. I can get out of bed. <laughs> I can get, I can get logged in. <laughs> that negotiation that happens every morning is a sign that you're exhausted. And then if you find yourself going through the motions at work, you're looking at your watch, you're counting down the moments until you get to get off from work. And then you go home and you relax, but it doesn't feel replenishing to you. Yeah. That's how we know that there is a long-term exhaustion that's happening, right? So that is cue number one, if you're feeling that. Cue number two is that your sense of purpose and fulfillment when it comes to work, it shifts. I'm a very purpose-driven person, right? Like I am all about the mission of scaling impact, creating change, supporting people. But I can tell you that in my times of feeling burnt out, I felt incredibly disconnected from that mission. Mm -hmm. And there were so many days that I felt like, I hate to say it, but I'm going to be honest. I was like, I just don't care. I just want to get through this. I just want to make it through. So it's the disconnection from the very thing that normally would bring you fulfillment and joy in your career path is now the exact same thing that's causing this emotional distress as you're navigating burnout. And then the third dimension is efficacy at work. Okay. So you're going to be looking at, am I as effective as I was before I started to experience these symptoms? I know for me, my focus went down the drain. My productivity was affected. 
my ability to retain information and collaborate with other people, all of those were adversely impacted by burnout, right? And so if you resonated with any of the things I just said, those are cues for you that you may be either at the early stages or somewhere along the pathway of experiencing burnout. Now, the question is, what do you do about it, right? So you checked out the boxes, you're like, okay, yeah, I got burnout. So now what? What leaders are tempted to do is they're tempted to provide individual interventions. And I see this all the time with organizations I've worked with before, okay? They're like, let's add in a mindfulness app. Maybe we can build in lunches, right? Let's provide some incentives for people. And Mm -hmm. I'm not throwing shade on that. I think that those are decent interventions. But what I think is evidence-based and what research shows is we have to have a two-pronged approach when it comes to burnout. Yes, the mindfulness practice, the individual coping skills, those are important. But even more importantly is addressing the systemic issues that are creating the burnout to begin with. Mm -hmm. That means for you leaders that are listening, you have to look at what's the workflow looking like within our workplace. Is the workload that's being uh, given to each person reasonable given their capacities and resources available? Is there clear communication and transparency as to what's expected, what the next level of promotion is, and what steps need to be taken to achieve that? These are all factors on a systemic level that are going to have to be addressed alongside the individual interventions I had mentioned earlier. And so that's how you're able to address burnout from a leadership and an organizational standpoint. That's how you're going to get the long-term outcomes that you're looking for. Now, look, now y'all see why, like, we, we said Oprah, we were saying all kind of stuff on there, man, this girl is kicking knowledge, yes, we're kicking knowledge, you know, and again, we're so appreciative, again, this is our, like, a, a place where we like to say, you know, you're not crazy, right, because we're going through this stuff, and you're like, man, does anybody see this shit, you know what I mean, like, you expect me to get this done next week? Right. Did you remember you gave me these other things to do also, or you keep throwing stuff in there, but this is all part of that. But well, but you know, Hey, you have a focus Friday or, Hey, you have no meetings on this day. Well, Hey, we brought a food truck, you know, out here for you. It's like, yeah, but you know what I'm saying? I feel like I'm going to get punished if I take the focus Friday or if I take time to go to the food truck, you know, all of those types of things. So I'm happy every time I hear validation that I'm not crazy. (laughs) You know what I mean? Not at all. You're not crazy at all. And and you hit such a beautiful nail on the head there because that is exactly that connection I was talking about with trust and burnout. What you just described is that people don't trust what the leaders are saying. Yeah, They're saying to you, take this time off, use your PTO, take a mental health day, avail yourself of blocking off your Fridays. But then people are terrified to take those uh, those moments of intervention because they are so afraid that when that next promotion comes up, they're going to be passed over because they took too much time off yep, or yep, their yep, schedule yep. was blocked off too much. So I so appreciate you drawing that connection. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. It, and the systemic piece is, is real. I mean, that's that's a big part of what we talk about on Secrets, too, is not just taking care of the individual, giving the individual a promotion or taking care of one person. It's the system. Mm -hmm. It's all the contract, the processes, the practices, all of those things that are oppressing 
you know, <laughs> a different. That's exactly. Different people. Yeah. At yeah. the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, you've been dropping some science today already. I'm just like, I'm sitting over here cheesing. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That's like, this is going to be a good ass episode. That's, <laughs> that's going to keep going through my so, mind. So first like, off, <laughs> you see why we made that connection that's so right, fast, that's too. That's right. That's right. You see it. You see it. <laughs> and we've talked a lot about mental health and burnout and, and trust here. And as you mentioned earlier on, these are really taboo topics really for mm-hmm. in, in communities of color, um, in particular, talking about mental health. And just wanted to get your perspective on kind of the intersectionality of those two things, being a person of color and then dealing with mental health um, mm-hmm. as it relates to the, to the workplace. What are, what are one of the two things that may be important for leaders to kind of understand about this dynamic of how we show up as people of color uh, in the workplace? Yes, yes. I think that leaders have to consider the fact that as we've been talking about systemic challenges at work, there's systemic oppression that happens in day-to-day life and it just surrounds BIPOC communities, right? We're talking about racism. We're talking about, you know, people getting harmed on a regular basis, right? Living life fearfully because of just the state of our society. And I think that those exact same issues come into the workplace as well. So for example, in power dynamics, if you've got a leader who is white and you've got employees that are BIPOC, what's the power dynamic like there? And how comfortable do your BIPOC employees feel even coming to you with anything? I think often we don't know what's possible until we see somebody in the position already gotten there, right? Like, I don't think that there are enough members of our community that are in leadership positions. And so then it creates the impression that we have imposter syndrome or something is wrong with us. When in reality, it's a systemic problem of not enough brilliant BIPOC leaders being promoted to the positions that they deserve to be promoted to. So these are the issues that are very real outside of work, but they get amplified in the workplace. And when leaders are thinking about trying to support their BIPOC employees, they really have to be looking at where they're putting the burden. Because what I've heard a lot of leaders do, right, especially in the wake of uh, the racial reckoning that we've had over the last couple of years here, is that they were forming these committees of BIPOC members, particularly members of the Black community, to just like process And it's like, did you ask anybody that that's what they needed? Did you ask what would be helpful? Because what I can tell you is that I've spoken to the people that participated in those groups and they felt weird. They felt awkward and they felt like their trauma was put on display. And that is not what you want to be doing as a leader. Part of attuned leadership is having a conversation with your BIPOC employees and asking them, this is a really, really horrific time. What can I do to best support you? And then leave it and listen to what people say versus prescribing a solution without any idea of what people actually may desire from you. Mm-hmm. That issue is so prevalent right now. With You think about COVID and going back to the office, right? And the fact that BIPOC people don't want to go back to the office, you know, because there's less microaggressions, less harassment. You have a little bit more uh, leeway and freedom of how you plan out your day, you know, just all those things. And it's like when companies are rushing back to get everybody back in the office, I keep asking myself, I wonder if they've talked to a person of color to see how they feel or is that voice being represented with this rush to go back to the office? We kind of know the answer to the question. Yeah, we kind of know that. Again, we're we're asking, but we kind of know the answer to the question. But I mean, look, 
And I totally get some of our listeners might say again, or even first time listeners might say, there go Keith and Ricky again, getting <laughs> getting dramatic, making shit up. And they didn't found somebody else to like support the conspiracy here. Well, this is not true. Right. This is the part of the show where we go into the receipts. Right. And we use these receipts again to validate that we're not crazy. Yeah. If if it was nothing to talk about, there would not be a secret. No, no, OK, so today's receipts on mental health and people of color. Yeah. And then we will also share receipts on the impact of burnout. Yeah. Yeah. OK, so Keith, hit us with receipt number one. Yeah. Receipt number one. Mental Health America points out that people of color and all those whose lives have been marginalized by those in power experience life differently from those whose lives have not been devalued. Um, They experience overt racism and bigotry far too often, which leads to a mental health burden that is deeper than what others face. And racism is actually a mental health issue because racism causes trauma. Right. Let's pause on that for a minute. Racism causes trauma and trauma paints a direct line to mental illness. Right. And every day, people of color experience far more subtle traumas, such as people who avoid them in their neighborhoods out of ignorance and fear, banks and credit card companies who won't lend them money or do so only at high, ridiculous interest rates, mass incarceration of their peers, school curricula that that ignore and minimize their contributions to the shared history, racial profiling, the list goes on and on and on. These are all traumas Mm -hmm. that have an impact on your mental health. And these are the things that people of color are facing every day in our lives. Yeah, this trauma is real. (laughs) Our our sister Nitty was talking about this also. We're talking about, we're talking about external static. Trauma is part of that external static, you know, that we have to deal with. So that's a real relevant receipt there. Mm -hmm. Look, receipt number two, also, according to stats from the Mental Health America, although rates of mental illness illness in uh, some BIPOC populations are sometimes comparable or slightly lower than the rates in the white population, BIPOC individuals often experience a disproportionately high burden of disability from mental disorders. Although rates of depression are lower in Black people, which is 24.6%, and in Hispanic people, uh, 19.6%, then in white people, 34.7%. Depression in Blacks and Hispanics is likely to be more persistent. In fact, mental and behavioral health conditions are common among people in the criminal justice system. Again, we talked about the criminal justice system and who's mainly you know, uh, in there, who, who are the participants, right? In which BIPOCs are disproportionately overrepresented, as we talk about all the time. Approximately 50% to 75% of youth in the juvenile justice system meet the diagnostic criteria for a mental illness. That's huge. And to top it off, Cultural incompetence of healthcare providers likely contributes to underdiagnosis and/or misdiagnosis of mental illness in BIPOC communities. Language differences between patient and provider, stigma of mental illness among BIPOC individuals, and cultural presentation of symptoms are some of the many barriers to care that explain these errors in the diagnostic process. So again. Really not making this stuff no, up. I no. mean, it's here. This is here. You can you can try to bypass it if you want to, but the stuff is here. There is that's a right. reason for this that's here. That's right. That's just another layer of yes, trauma. Absolutely. On top of the systemic stuff. 
right? And then for receipt number three, we actually pluck the receipt right from your website. <laughs> we <laughs> talk about burnout. That's right. And it states, according to a recent uh, 2021 survey released by the Development Dimensions International Global Leadership Forecast, nearly 60% of leaders surveyed reported feeling used up mm. at the end of their workday, which is a strong indicator, as you pointed out, of burnout. Right. Many leaders resist addressing the early signs of their own burnout due to the fear of judgment from others, as well as concern that they will be viewed as less capable. We talked about this, mm-hmm. yeah, right the but not addressing burnout could have long term emotional and physical repercussions. Right. But after you've been used up, after you've been, yeah, used, after up. You've been used up and you're not there anymore. <laughs> now it's like, dry. yeah, yeah, yeah. You go and take care of that yourself. Right. And by the way, you're not on the company's benefits anymore. That's either. right. <laughs> you know? OK, look, receipt number four, according to statistics on burnout compiled by by everyone social. 75% of workers have experienced burnout. 75%. That's damn near everybody. Yeah, that's all okay. Everybody. With 40% saying they've experienced burnout specifically during the pandemic, 67% of all workers believe burnout has worsened over the course of the pandemic. And 61% of remote workers and 53% of on-site workers now find it more difficult to unplug from work during off hours. Mm-hmm. This is all them text messages that come in afterwards. Mm-hmm. This is them emails that come on on the weekend that now create anxiety if you don't check it, yep. you know, or if you happen to be trying to do some work over the weekend. Oh, Keith is working right now. Let yeah. me barrage let, his let, ass let with some, some more messages. You know what I mean? <laughs> but again, this is part of the unplug, you know, here. That and our final receipt, and not to pile on, but we're going to pile on. You guys ain't stand on them. <laughs> Burnt out employees are 63% more likely to take a sick day. Yeah. 2.6 times as likely to be actively seeking a different job because mm-hmm. they didn't want to get the hell out of here. And I'm going to pick on Ricky's function, HR for a minute. Do it. There we go. So according to Flex Jobs, only 21% of workers say they're able to have an open, productive conversation with HR mm-hmm. about solutions to their burnout. And 56% went so far as to say that their HR departments did not even encourage conversations about burnout. So that gets back to the trust issue yep. that you were talking about earlier, Nitty, right? So Yeah, yeah. No, and again, if the employee doesn't feel comfortable going to HR and the leadership, you know, is just a bit toxic, mm-hmm. you know, here and causing this type of thing, the employees don't stand a damn chance. Not, not right. That's right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. And again, you dealing with it on your own. Yeah. Well, and thinking that you're crazy, mm-hmm. you know, over here. Right. So look, I mean, those are some outstanding receipts there. Right. And again, we talk about this. If not for these receipts, mm-hmm. Wouldn't be no secrets. That's right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but speaking of secrets, you know, we want to make sure that we that we do navigate into that because we want to give people tools to be able to change the paradigm here, right? Yep. So we have a double dose of secrets for you today. Nitty will provide three secrets on what corporate America can do to create an environment that embodies trust and normalizes conversations and growth for employees concerning mental well-being. Mm-hmm. And then we'll close out the episode with three additional secrets from Nitty um, uh, for, for our listeners on how we can face burnout and not wreck our careers. Mm-hmm. So I can't wait, you know, to kind of hear, hear this because yeah. we've been waiting on this. So Nitty, can you start with the three secrets for corporate America? Because these are some of the folks who really need to hear it. That's right. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's true. Well, for the secrets podcast, guess what? I got three C's for you. That are ah, gonna be we like that. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. All right. So here we go to build trust as leaders within corporate America or whatever business you run, you're going to want the three C's, which are clarity, consistency, and connection. Okay, so I'm going to break these down for you. Yes. So clarity is going to be all about your transparency and your ability to be a clear communicator with the people that you're leading. That means that when things are happening behind the scenes, let's say a restructuring of a department or layoffs are happening or something is going on behind the scene. And when you don't tell people about what's going on, what happens is that our brain is good at sensing threat. And we fill in the gaps with the worst case scenarios. So when leaders aren't clear in their communication, you're actually creating a great distrust between yourself and the employees because now they're making assumptions about what's happening. They're jumping to worst case scenarios. I'm going to lose my job. People are getting laid off. We don't know because you haven't communicated it to anybody. So you want to just be transparent. Now, this also means that you want to be transparent in regards to what upward mobility looks like within an organization. Okay. I can't tell you how many organizations I've worked with where the most common complaint from employees are that they've been promised a promotion for three years and they have no idea when, how, or if they're going to get it. Mm -hmm. Why? Because there was no clarity as to what the role is and what the benchmarks are that you have to attain to be able to achieve that. And then most importantly, how your leadership is going to clearly support you through touch points quarterly or whatever the case may be. So that's why we underscore clarity. Now, consistency is the second secret because consistency means that there's a congruence between what you're saying and what you're doing. So if you are in a meeting with your employee and you tell them that I'm going to go to bat for you because my boss has some questions about your work, I believe in you and what you're putting out there. So when I meet with my boss, I'm going to stand up for you and I'm going to hold the ground for you. But then you show up in front of your boss, you start freaking out, you get anxious. Oh no, what if I get in trouble for this? And you shift it up. That is a lack of congruence that is inconsistent with what you have told that employee, and it will immediately erode the trust. So your words and your actions have to align, and you have to show up as the same person one-on-one, as in a group setting, as with your manager, as with the C-suite level, right? As with the stakeholders and the board, it has to be consistent across the board, okay? And then the third C is connection. So connection is going to be formed through conversations with people. And this is the part I think leaders have the hardest time with. They are fearful that if they have a conversation that's about things outside of work with their employees, somehow it's going to become an HR issue. I'm going to cross boundaries. I won't know what to say. I've heard C-suite leaders say, I'm not somebody's therapist. It's not my job to ask them. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yes, it is your job. You're not a therapist, but it surely is your responsibility as a leader to communicate and have a connection with the people that you're leading. So that's going to be done through conversations on a regular basis, frequent touch points, whether that's weekly, biweekly, or once every two weeks, monthly, whatever that looks like, but checking in and having the conversation be active listening open-ended questions where you are simply asking employees how they're doing, what they need from you, what their strengths, 
what their struggles are, and then you helping to problem solve those alongside them and validating those challenges. So those are my three secrets for you in terms of developing psychological safety and trust in the workplace. <laughs> Fire. Dropping gems. Dropping diamonds. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> diamond Jubilee episode. Uh-huh. I mean, that's great advice for all leaders out there. I was writing them down. Clarity, consistency, yeah. <laughs> and connection. Yeah, and absolutely. All, I'm all about it. So can now we talk about at the individual level, if you have three secrets for individuals who are experiencing burnout or feel like they're having some mental trauma, how can they kind of break through and make sure that their careers aren't derailed as a result of of Mm -hmm. burnout Mm -hmm. or some issues they may be facing? Great question. Yes. Yes. Well, I think that the first step is always awareness. So you have to be aware that there's a problem in order to even address the problem. Mm -hmm. So if you listen to the podcast, you're like, oh my gosh, I got burnout. Like I totally check, 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 check. Now you have awareness. So that means that now you can take action and intervene. And for me, and this is evidence-based too, that the best interventions entail long-term support. So that means in the workplace, being able to, if there is a sense of trust and safety, which once again, this is the foundation. So if you don't have that, this is going to be tough, but being able to tap in people to help support you and provide additional resources in the workplace to mitigate the burnout. If that's not a possibility, though, then you're going to have to focus on your supports outside of the workplace. That might be that you utilize your EAP services. And I know a lot of people don't trust those services, but it's a misconception that your EAP therapists report back to your HR or report back to your leadership. I really, really want to underscore that. I hear that all the time, too, that I don't want to talk to my EAP therapist because I don't want them to report back to my boss. There's HIPAA. It's the Health and Information Portability Act. It protects your confidentiality, even if you go through your EAP. It might require that you connect more with your family system, your friends, being able to have a support network that provides that emotional resource for you that you're lacking in the workplace. Using coping mechanisms. So there are skills you can develop to be able to help you to mitigate the symptoms of burnout. For example, if you're a person who takes work home, you're going to have to strengthen your boundaries, right? That's going to require you to have, and this is really hard, I think, especially for BIPOC employees, is feeling comfortable saying, I don't have the capacity to take this on right now. I'm overburdened with things. Perhaps another time, I'd love to help down the line, but for right now, I'm not able to. It's hard because we're fearful that maybe that will be held against us, that we won't be seen as enough of a go-getter or that that we're not motivated enough in some way. But I really want to challenge that and instead say there are ways to compassionately set boundaries with your boss that lets them know where you're at and what you can tolerate and what you can't. And then there's also ways for you to set boundaries once you're outside of work at home, not logging into your computer to check your email. The first thing that we all do is we get on our phone and we're checking our emails at like 7 a.m. when we're getting up for work. Why are we doing this? It creates stress first thing in the morning, or it's eight o'clock at night and we hear the ding in our email and we're checking the email. Why are we doing that? Right. We're not setting great emotional boundaries. And so the boundaries are going to be an important piece of this too. And the last thing I'll say is the mindfulness techniques that I'd mentioned earlier, they actually are very highly effective when it comes to managing stress. So that's going to look like being able to take moments to be still, And that's going to feel uncomfortable for a lot of people listening. I know it was uncomfortable for me when I started off, but you can do this. And this is my therapist hat getting put on. You can titrate that. 
Meaning if you have a hard time sitting there for 10 minutes doing a meditation, that's okay. Why are we trying that? Instead, see if you can set a timer for one minute and just sit and notice what comes up for you as you are still. Once you got a minute down, build it to a minute and a half, two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes. And that's how you can build the tolerance to be able to utilize these mindfulness-based techniques. So those are some secrets if you've noticed that you have burnout for you individually to start managing it. I'll end with one last thing, y'all, which is I am not a proponent of people staying in an environment that is toxic. I'm going to say that one more time. I am not a proponent of people staying in an environment that has no desire to change the culture. You are one person in a culture of thousands of people if you work for a big corporation. And if you see that the leadership is not getting the message around prioritizing well-being, you are not going to be able to enact enough change to make sure that that shifts within the work culture. So it is okay. You have permission then to say, this job is no longer a good fit for me. And I would like to prioritize finding another position that is going to put my well-being as a priority. So Nitty, man, golly, that girl is bad, man. I'm trying to tell you, boy, she she was kicking so much knowledge. Yes. You know, so much knowledge, man. I'm, again, and like I said, I had to win and record the shit when she was first talking to us. You know what I mean? <laughs> but again, that was such amazing advice. And, and we know everything that we talked about today will benefit everyone in our secrets community. And we sincerely appreciate you for being on the show with us today. The mic is over here still smoking. Okay. <laughs> so, hey, sister. How can your new secrets village now, because we family now, right? right. How can we get in contact with you on social media, speaking engagements or corporate coaching? How can we stay in your zone? First of all, I wanted to thank y'all so much for having me as a part of this wonderful community. And this has just been such a great conversation. So if you're so inspired to connect with me, there's multiple ways to do this. I'm on all social media platforms on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. It's at Nitty Tawari LCSW. My first name, last name, credentials, LCSW. On Twitter, it's at LCSW Nitty because they didn't have my other one. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then if you would like to reach out to me through my website, I have three workshops that I offer. So you can take a look at my menu of options. I'm happy to send you my one sheeter. And then I also offer consultation packages. So one is a retainer where I'm willing to do a long-term six-month deep dive into your organization to identify the individual systemic challenges and provide solutions. And then I offer another consultation package where it's just a fewer number of hours, but we deep dive into one problem area like burnout or trust. So you can reach out to me through my website, www.wellbeingspeaker.com, wellbeingspeaker.com. Really appreciate it. Amazing. Again, I mean, we so appreciate you being on the show. And I will extend my gratitude to you for being on Secrets today. Your willingness to be vulnerable, to share your journey on Secrets was so important. And again, if you want to find out more resources, go on our website, look in our show notes for our episode. We'll have resources there for you, including Nitty's contact information. So you can just click there if you didn't write it down while she was talking about it. And again, we want to give a sincere shout out to all of our listeners out there, y'all are our day ones. This wouldn't have happened without all of you. We continue to stand up and support us every in every sense of the way. And again, be sure to write a review on Apple, 
Spotify, go buy some merchandise, take some pictures, you know, post those on our Instagram page. We'd really appreciate that for us. Yeah, no, and, and look, KP, you and I have a lot of fun on the podcast. We do a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, here, yeah. right? But I want to, again, also be uh, thankful for our listeners to know that this is real fun for us. Like we, I mean, as, as serious as this stuff is, we really try to find a way for this to be uh, fun. But the best part of the secrets for us is helping y'all get your bread, helping you get your paper. We want to continue to make sure that people get their money. Right. And we would love to add more than the three million dollars in total comp that we've been able to support people with with increases and whatnot. So, again, we've gotten our village set up. We're launching more executive coaching and being able to do that mm-hmm. stuff because we really, really want to help you get that money. Mm-hmm. And again, we want to thank Nitty for, for being with us today. You know, this is our, our diamond Jubilee. Yep, absolutely. I'm, 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 I'm thinking of Rihanna. Shine bright like a diamond. Yeah. Or, or, Nitty, or, shine. Or, yeah, or, or even have Mary J be like living that diamond life. That's right, that's right. <laughs> we got it today. All the things, all the things. And again, your story was amazing. Yeah. The secrets were incredible. And so thanks for being with us on the show today. And, you know, Ricky and I, we love to have a little cocktail (laughs) and do our thing. And we've been sipping, having a good time. The drink is looking a little low right now. So we're going to fill up these empty cups and get back at it. But we really appreciate everybody for being with us today. Thanks for listening to Secrets. And remember, when we share, you transform. Peace, everybody. Take care. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed yet another gem from KP and PR. In fact, one listener said that Secrets continues to share the inside story on how to truly accomplish your corporate ambitions, and we hope you agree. If you are motivated and excited after listening to Keith and Ricky, please subscribe to our podcast, share with friends, donate via Patreon, and sign up for our executive coaching services. Check us out at www.c-crets.com to get more information about our secret services. Remember, when they share, you transform. Until next time, cheers!